Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 691. I'm going to start off with a very large thank you to Scott Simon and his crew at National Public Radio's Weekend Edition Saturday for welcoming your humble Talking Birds host. Back to that NPR program yesterday, we talked about ocean plastic pollution and its effects on seabirds. If you'd like to give it a listen, do a search for Weekend Edition Saturday, August 25th edition, or check out our Talking Birds Facebook page. When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide. But they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. Well, the great Tom Lehrer had some fun with that clever tune of his back in the 60s, but he's probably not thrilled with what's happening with some toxic substances that might soon be doing bad things to birds in our national wildlife refuges. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has revoked a 2014 ban on the use of neonicotinoid pesticides, commonly called neonics, in national wildlife refuges. A spokesperson for the Sierra Club environmental group described the decision as flying in the face of recent research that has linked this particular class of pesticides to harmful effects on bees and other pollinators in contradicting the very purpose of the National Wildlife Refuge System. Meanwhile, the Center for Biological Diversity and the Center for Food Safety have filed a notice of intent to sue the Trump administration over the policy reversal. Stay tuned. Meanwhile, way out west... That's the mating call of the male greater sage grouse, a species that is shaped a little bit like a football and has been getting treated like one for quite a long time. Now several Western governors say a new presidential administration directive threatens to undermine a compromise designed to save the bird, which once numbered in the millions, but now is down to less than 500,000 as a result of energy development, disease, and livestock grazing, among other causes. The administration directive puts limits on a type of land swamp involving federal property, and critics say that eliminates an important technique for saving habitat for the shrinking greater sage-grouse population. Fire up your search engine to get the full story or find it on our Facebook page or Twitter feed. Now here's some good news on the environmental front. People are proclaiming, bring on the biodegradables. The folks at cleantechnica.com say that biodegradable plastics is a double-digit growth industry coming into its own from increased regulations and bans against plastic bags and other single-use plastic items, and that concerns about plastic waste in the environment are contributing to demand for biodegradable plastics around the world. They cite a new analysis that suggests 
that the current market value of biodegradable plastics could reach $1.7 billion by 2023. These plastics are bio-based or fossil fuel-based chemical compositions that undergo microbial decomposition to carbon dioxide and water in industrial or municipal compost facilities. And a few of them, they tell us, can decompose in backyard compost bins or in soil, fresh water or salt water. Cleantechnica.com has more details about it. And then there's this. Yeah, hot air balloons are great in the great outdoors, but helium-filled balloons, not so much. Following the principle of what goes up must come down, those balloons that don't tangle in trees or get caught in wires eventually explode, sending bits of balloon down to the ground or into our lakes and rivers and oceans, which where they are often mistaken for food by turtles and seabirds or just become litter on the landscape. Well, the folks down at Clemson University have come to realize that their 30-year tradition of launching balloons before football games was maybe not the best idea. So at Clemson, they have ended the balloon release tradition. Way to go, Clemson. Clemson Tigers. Meanwhile, out on beautiful Block Island, Rhode Island, the town council recently went a step further than Clemson and voted unanimously to eliminate the sale, distribution, and use of all balloons, pointing out that despite what balloon manufacturers say, balloons are not biodegradable and represent a significant threat to the environment. That beautiful sounding bird is our mystery bird on the show today. We'll have the actual contest in a little while. Just giving a little preview here so you can get ready for that contest. Some clues. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized, stocky songbird with a short tail. Both male and female sport a yellow throat, chest, and belly with a distinctive V across the chest. Our bird is a denizen of grasslands, pastures, hayfields, and golf courses. That would be our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes, including the Droll Yankees double suet feeder, perfect for suet or fruit, plus a download to your iOS device or online access to a really cool app. It's the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Prizes and clues and sounds of our mystery bird contest coming up. Meanwhile, just take a moment to say thank you to two more wonderful Talking Birds listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors, including Bruce Kramer from San Antonio, Texas, who stumbled upon Talking Birds earlier this month, he says, while shopping for a bird podcast on his long drives to find the many birds that Texas has to offer. Thank you so much, Bruce. And thank you to Freya McGregor from Quincy, Massachusetts happens to be the home of Talking Birds World Headquarters. She says she stumbled onto the show after seeing our booth at the Mass Audubon Birders Meeting in March of this year. She's Australian but fell in love with an American and moved over here to be with him. She says, turns out that was a good move. We're getting married in October. 
Congratulations, and thank you, Freya, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. To join Freya and Bruce as a Talking Birds ambassador, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, in a couple of weeks, we'll be heading down to the Ocean State to do our show live from the Audubon Society of Rhode Island's Raptor Weekend. And today we'll get a little preview of that event with special guest Ann DeMonte. Plus, as always, we'll track down our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment, in which Mike will hold forth today on the topic of birds finding food. And how exactly do they do it? And up next, the adult male of the species that's today's featured feathered friend is sometimes called the gray ghost. And we're about to hear more about it in this segment, performed or presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Welcome back, everyone, to The Flight is Right. Our contestant today is Jim from Ducksfield, Massachusetts. And Jim, if you could answer this bird question, you'll win our grand prize. Are you ready, Jim? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, now, this is a bird you often see flying over a marsh, marsh. and it's a type of hawk. Yeah. The bird you often oh. see flying over a marsh, marsh, and it's a type of hawk. hawk. What bird is it, Jim? It's a marsh hawk. Oh, sorry, Jim. This bird flying over a marsh that's a type of hawk is... A northern harrier. A northern what? Yeah, a northern harrier. Well, if Jim had been a contestant some years ago, his answer would have been correct. But the folks at the American Ornithological Union, who get to decide these things, changed the name in order to confuse us and make our field guides obsolete. So how do we ID this beautiful bird? Well, the northern harrier, first of all, is about 18 inches long with a wingspan of about three and a half feet. The adult male is pale gray above and white below, with black wingtips and black on the trailing edge of the wing. The slightly larger female is brown from above and mottled brown from below, with lots of barring visible on the wings. Now, when viewed from above, both male and female have an unmistakable white rump. That's the area just behind the wings and just ahead of the tail, a really good field mark. Another good way to recognize the marsh hawk, I mean the northern harrier, is that when it soars, its wings often form a shallow V, a little bit like a turkey vulture. And the northern harrier sounds like this. First the alarm call, and then the eeyah sound of a female in breeding season. Northern Harrier, today's featured feathered friend, here on Talking Birds. That name change not so nefarious as it sounded there, really to make it consistent with other Harrier species, kind of like they did with uh, what used to be called the Sparrowhawk, which we now call the American Kestrel. Well, if you're anywhere in, let's say, southern New England or the New York, New Jersey area, uh, and if you love raptors, uh, well, if you're not far, what I was going to say, you're not far from Rhode Island if you are in those places. I got the sentence a little backwards there. Uh, anyway, if you love raptors and you're in one of those areas, maybe, you might want to consider taking a little ride to Little Rhodey, the ocean state, 
a couple of weeks from now for the Audubon Society of Rhode Island's Raptor Weekend. Here to tell us a little bit about the weekend is Anne DeMonte, director of the Audubon Nature Center and Aquarium in beautiful Bristol, Rhode Island, from where, by the way, we'll be broadcasting our show a couple of weeks from now. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. Thanks for being with us, Anne. I haven't been to the Nature Center yet, but it looks pretty gorgeous uh, in the photos. Tell us about that Nature Center and aquarium you have and give us some highlights, if you would, about the Raptor Weekend. I would be happy to, and thank you for having us on your show. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Audubon Society of Rhode Island opened its Nature Center and Aquarium in July of 2000, so we're coming up. We just passed our 18-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. As you noted, we're situated in Bristol, Rhode Island, right on the Bristol town line. We actually sit on 28 acres of land called Clare McIntosh Wildlife Refuge, and it's a long, narrow strip of land. It's one of our smallest wildlife refuges that the Audubon Society of Rhode Island owns, and we're very fortunate in that we stretch right down to Narragansett Bay. So in addition to our nature center and aquarium, we also have a beautiful boardwalk that will lead you right down to the bay with a platform uh, overlooking Narragansett Bay. Wow, that sounds, uh, it sounds even more beautiful than the photograph indicated. We're very fortunate. <laughs> it is a beautiful place to be. So September 8th and 9th, right, is the uh, Raptor weekend, and I, I know that, you... That yep. is correct, yes. Yes, the um, Raptor Weekend event is Audubon Society of Rhode Island's largest fundraiser. We're going on 15 years running the event, and it always takes place the weekend after Labor Day, and it is a two-day event, and we have um, wildlife rehabilitators and falconry experts from all over New England and New York coming to bring beautiful birds of prey. So we're going to have eagles coming, both um, golden and bald eagles, mm-hmm. a variety of different owls, hawks, falcons. We might even have a vulture which and a raven, which technically aren't raptors, but they're very fun to see. Mm-hmm. So it's an unusual opportunity because most people don't get the chance to see a bald eagle or a golden eagle or maybe a snowy owl up close. Most people only see them from a far distance or maybe if they're at a zoo or they just happen to be lucky and look up and see one flying overhead. So this is a rare opportunity. It's always a big event and everyone has a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, we're slightly obsessed with the problem of plastic pollution around here and especially as it relates to plastic in our oceans. And I was happy to see the Raptor event described on your website as a plastic-free weekend. How does that work? That is correct, yes. We actually started this a couple of years ago, and we're fortunate that Crystal Springs has been a sponsor of the event and helped uh, support the plastic-free weekend. So we have eliminated all plastic from the event, which means that you will not find any plastic water bottles at the event, plastic soda bottles, anything like that. Uh, Like I said, Crystal Springs is going to have setting up free water stations. So if you bring your own reusable bottle to the event, you can fill it up all day with a nice cold water for free. Um, If you don't come with your own bottle, that's okay. We have reusable bottles. You can purchase at a very low price or you can purchase a compostable cup for 25 cents and fill up your cup throughout the day. So we're really trying to um, be very conscious of our environmental footprint, obviously being the Audubon Society. And as you noted, trying to eliminate the 
do what we can to eliminate the plastic problem that our country and our world is facing right now, particularly, like you said, in our oceans and on our lands. Mm -hmm. It's billed as the largest celebration of raptors in New England and will take place on the weekend of September 8th and 9th in beautiful Bristol, Rhode Island. Best way for folks to get tickets, Anne? Absolutely. So you can buy tickets right on the day of the event, or you can buy them in advance. And all information, including the event schedule, all the different presenters that are coming, information about the kids' games, and other um, things like that, such as the Plastic Free that you noted, can be found on our website, which is www.asri.org. And the ASRI stands for the Audubon Society of Rhode Island. And like I said, you can buy the tickets in advance or you can just buy them when you come to the event. And DeMonte is director of the Audubon Society of Rhode Island's Nature Center and Aquarium. Thank you, Anne. We'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Ray. We'll see you soon. All right. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Candy Powell, and I live in Jamestown, Rhode Island. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I have been a passionate birder for probably 45 years, and I totally fell in love with the radio show. I'm a pretty outgoing person, and I have a lot of connections, and so I thought it would be a natural for me to become an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. We're pretty Rhode Islandy today here on Talkin' Birds, and our mystery bird is one you could see in Rhode Island and here in Massachusetts and much of eastern North America and all the way uh, down to South America. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized, stocky songbird with a short tail. Both male and female sport a yellow throat, chest, and belly with a distinctive V across the chest. Our bird is a denizen of grasslands, pastures, hayfields, and golf courses. That would be our mystery bird. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Does that sound like spring of the year some people say that's what what the what the bird is saying that's a little mnemonic for it prizes a droll yankees double suet feeder perfect for treating your backyard birds to their favorite suet or a fruit has easy load front opening design heavy gauge wire holds up for years of use our bonus prize a download to your ios device or online access to the Larkwire app the app that makes learning bird sounds a game prize and bonus prize on our mystery bird contest this morning 781-837-4900 is the number to call that's 781-837-4900 meanwhile how do birds find food mike o'connor has some thoughts about that it's our let's ask mike live segment in just one minute well here's a preview of another great nature book from houghton mifflin harcourt publishers of the peterson field guides Part of the satisfaction of watching birds is being able to name what you see. 
Yet field guides have so many species to choose from, it can be overwhelming. The Peterson Guide to Bird Identification in 12 Steps starts with the basics, such as location, habitat, and season, and then builds logically into a manageable framework that can help anyone identify and appreciate birds. If you're new to birding, the book will help you understand the fundamentals of observation and the identification process. If you're more experienced, it helps you step back from years in the field and refresh your thoughts on how to watch and identify birds. Written in a helpful, conversational style and illustrated with more than 85 color photographs, the Peterson Guide to Bird Identification is available wherever books are sold. There's a familiar Let's Ask Mike music as we transition to beautiful Cape Cod. Mike O'Connor, the Bird Watchers General Store, uh, Route 6A, at the Orleans Rotary. He's feeding birds down there. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, yeah, Big Ray. I just figured it out how birds find their food. You put up a bird feeder, and they go right <laughs> over there because it's pretty obvious. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they, they listen to your show, and they know where to get the bird feeders. Ah, where the bird feeders come right, from now. Okay. Yeah, I got a nice, I got a nice uh, note that was left, mm-hmm. left for me at work, and um, it's, it's signed K with just the letter K, so I don't know if it's Ken or a woman, Karen, or... I think uh, it's Cor- Ken. No, I think it's Karen. Karen. I don't, you know, I, I'm no, look, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful handwriting, so there's no guy I know writes like that. Yeah, it's not Ken. It's probably, no, it's probably some woman. <laughs> but she wants to know, and she said, I know birds have great eyesight and hearing, but what about their sense of smell? Can they, especially hummingbirds, can they sense when we put out a feeder? Because birds seem to find feeders sometimes right away, and uh, can they smell the food? She's really concerned that they can, or wondering if they smell the food, and... Um, with uh, you know a handful of exceptions, we talked about this before. Vultures finding uh, food by rotting food by smell, and some seabirds can find food. Not many birds have a, a developed or a useful regular or that we know of a really mm-hmm. use sense of smell. And, and birds, most feeder birds in this case, find food by vision only. You know, un, unlike us, where we have certain times a day when we eat these. Birds are looking for food constantly, mm-hmm. and they're uh, flying around. And if they see a feeder or if they see some food, then they, they go for it. That's all they do all day is look for food. And so if you put out a feeder and they're familiar with the feeder, they'll, they'll go for it. Now, if they're not familiar with the feeder, they're not likely to go for it until they get fooled by some other bird or enticed by some other bird. Usually it's the chickadee, and they can hear the chickadee makes the sound, so they, eat, they use their ears to hear other birds feeding and the little sounds they make when they find food, and they kind of follow that. Um, but it's not really... A smell that draws them. It's the vision, and and you know I, I tell people sometimes people will buy a new bird feeder and put it in a new part of the yard, and the birds tend to ignore it because they they go to what they're used to and they don't recognize a new feeder. They try something different. You know, usually some aunt makes something out of pottery in some class, and you know, and it looks like a <laughs> the head of Winston Churchill or something with a hole in the eye. And they put that out, and the birds will never 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 go. Now, if they could smell the food inside, they would go. But the sense isn't very important to them. And so what I tell people, you know, when they get some weird feeder that they're not using is put it in the old spot, and then the birds tend to investigate what they're, hmm. what they're used to. And so if you get a new feeder and they're not coming, uh, let the other feeder go empty and put hmm. the new feeder right next to it. And then they'll hop over and they'll investigate it, and then they'll know find the food. Hmm. But on the whole, even hummingbirds, you know, it's all visual. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, they go to flowers, and flowers smell great, but... More often than not, hummingbirds go to flowers with no 
smell to it. Hmm. They know, they see the bright colors, and they know they have that nectar inside, and it's not necessarily the smell that attracts them. Or if it is a smell, it's not one that we can readily detect because most of the fragrant flowers attract bees and people. And uh, the hummingbirds seem aren't really interested in most of those kind of flowers. They do not pass the sniff test. That's right. That's all I got on that topic. So, Kay, if you're a woman, nice to hear from you. If you're a guy, you got great handwriting for a guy. I got to give you that. Yeah. And when you go back to the store, check out that head of Winston Churchill feeder that's now on sale. (laughs) Very popular, you know, this time of year. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. That's Mike O'Connor down there at the famous, the legendary Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Here's our mystery bird. We're back here at the mystery bird contest. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized Stocky songbird with a short tail, both male and female, sport a yellow throat, chest and belly. And here's kind of a kind of a big clue here, a distinctive V across the chest. Our bird is a denizen of grasslands, pastures, hayfields, and golf courses. What, uh, what would that mystery bird be? Uh, tell us what it is or take your guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. And I believe we have Ben in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Ray. I'm up late and I'm loving it. Um, (laughs) Yes, I'm a night person, even though I'm a birder. (laughs) I'm going to think, go the obvious way and say yellow-throated warbler. (laughs) Yellow-throated warbler, Tim. Bird out. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. You bet. All right. Uh, yellow-throated warblers, the guess uh, from Ben, not exactly what uh, we were looking for. What do you think it is? 781-837-4900 is the number. We have Allison in Santa Clara, California. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. Good Good morning. I, I believe you're one of our new Talking Birds ambassadors. Am I correct, Allison? You are correct. Yeah. All right. We have some special applause for you just for just for that. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you for calling in on the uh, mystery bird contest. What uh, What do you think our mystery bird is, uh, Allison? Is it a eastern meadowlark? We got nothing but applause over here for Allison. <laughs> Yay! And all that kind of stuff. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Allison. You are absolutely correct. Eastern. Meadowlark, an especially good guess because I don't think there are a lot of them around uh, Santa Clara, California. Am I right? Right, yeah. I mean, initially when you gave the little preview, I was like, hmm, Western Meadowlark. And then you, <laughs> you, know, you went back and said it, and I was like, oh, I missed that. Uh, an important clue. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked picked up picked up on that. You know, what? I'm just thinking about uh, reading about the idea of convergent evolution, where birds who are not related to one another uh, adapt very similar characteristics and appearances. Maybe we'll talk about this on next week's show. But I believe there's a bird in Africa that looks almost exactly like an eastern meadowlark, including the V on the chest, and yet it's not related at all to the uh, meadowlark. 
But as I say, oh, that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a story for next week. Allison, <laughs> Allison thank you so much for uh, calling in. And uh, if you'll stay on the line, uh, uh, Tim will get your ad- address and all that, and we'll send you those uh, beautiful prizes. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison, out there in Santa Clara, California, correctly identifying the eastern meadowlark, a bird uh, that typically for the male, they say, has two mates at a time, and on rare occasion, three. How many subspecies of eastern meadowlark are there? Up to 17, according to taxonomists. That's pretty interesting. And by the way, the eastern meadowlark is not a lark. In case you wonder, but rather a member of a family that includes blackbirds and orioles. I believe those would be those icterids. And I believe we're out of time for our show this morning. Uh, next week, Bill Thompson III, publisher and editor of Birdwatcher's Digest and founder and leader of the team leading the American Birding Expo in Philadelphia, uh, from where we'll be broadcasting our show in late September, will be our special guest. Uh, he'll be here to offer a preview of that event. One thing we didn't mention earlier is to uh, visit our website. We hope you will. Check it out there. Uh, We have a new one coming, by the way. Talkingbirds.com is the address. And we hope you'll uh, visit us uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. Beans.com.